stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Three Questions. I'm your host, Andy Richter. Today, I'm talking to Nassim Pedrad. Nassim is an actress, comedian, and writer. You know her from SNL, New Girl, or her current show, Chad, which she also created, writes, and stars in. Season two of Chad is out now on the Roku channel. Nassim joined me live in the studio. We had a great conversation, and she's really a lot of fun. Here she is, Nassim Pedrad. What was the genesis of the show? Like what? Well, I, so after I left, so I did SNL like 2009 to 2014. Did Did you not know? (laughs) Nobody told me that. Um, And I left, uh, I left here. I left with Mulaney actually to do his sitcom, which um, honestly was like such a great lesson early on in my career of you could just have the most incredible pedigree around a project and sometimes things just don't last and yeah. they don't come together and and at that point I'd already left SNL where you know I was just starting to have so much fun there and I was like well I, it doesn't make sense to go back yeah. I think I'm really ready to like create my own thing so Chad has been in the work for in the work for many years of my life yeah. uh, I got a development deal after Mulaney ended and yeah basically they were like well what what show do you want to write? And I, I'm pretty sure it was with 20th with Fox. And I'm pretty sure they expected me to write a show where I'm a girl in my date, you know, 30s dating right, in a big right, city. Right. And I was like, what about this totally weirder idea? <laughs> I'm a boy in my teens. <laughs> yes. Not dating. Yes. And yeah, it's it sounded and probably was very scary. And yeah, and this is before Pen15, which, oh my gosh, another show that I really, really love. Um, so they just kind of like, they weren't sure about it. And yeah. then I just got lucky. This show has been like the little engine that could. They let me shoot it. And then ultimately they were like, this feels like a cable show. So then it went to TVS and now now it's at Roku. Yeah. I'm the king of having an idea that I never do anything with. And then I see something that's like similar and I'm like, well, shit. Now, when you saw Pen15, did you go like, oh, no. Well, yeah, it was funny because I I had started Chad, but again, it was like held up going from 20th to TBS for a couple years. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the show has just been lawyers going back and forth deciding. Yeah. Yeah. Where to put it? Um, and Pen15 came out during that. But, you know, it's it's 
it's totally it's that show is so special and original and it felt different enough. But I yeah, I once I cracked the character of who Chad was and mm-hmm. I figured out what the you know, the comedic engine of the show is and the comedic dynamic between the characters, I I really believed in it. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to bet on myself. And obviously, until I get to an absolute no, the, mm-hmm. sh- the show can't exist, then I'll pivot to something else. But right. as long as it looks like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, I'm just going to, you know, stick by my vision. And yeah. I was lucky that I got to. Did you get a lot of pushback for stealing a job from a male actor? <laughs> You know, I mean, confused there's, so, people there's I did. <laughs> so few jobs out there and you stole one. It's so funny. There was so much like <laughs> people took umbrage with that before the show. Did even they really? Came. Well, they were just the people were so not sure of what it was. Like people were like, is she making a show about trans people? Is it? I'm like, no, I'm just like earnestly playing this little boy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And Honestly, I I mean, I love writing about the awkwardness of adolescence, but I really felt like as an adult woman, I I could disappear into looking like a 14-year-old boy. Yeah. Maybe a little more than I personally could have with a girl because you have the wig and the eyebrows and his posture and everything. So I just felt like a very fun character to play. But we would do these like focus what are they called? Like, you know, the test screenings. Yeah, focus and, groups. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, focus, you know, test screenings. Yeah. yeah so I'd, I'd like hear some of the feedback and most people fully got it and and yeah. were into it, but there would always be a couple people that were like, now, is this fair to young boys? <laughs> or like, or some people that were just like, is this mean to trans people? It's like, he's not trans. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's just wow, a boy. Wow. But yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. What was it that you think that, that urge to be like, I want to be a boy. You know, I want to play a boy in a, in a show, you know, because it is... I mean, I can see the the appeal of it just being fun, you mm-hmm. know, yes. because teenage boys are, I mean, people that are messes are funny mm-hmm. and there's not much bigger mess than a teenager, than especially a, a teenage but boy. Wrong, f- yeah, 14, yeah. 15 year old yeah. boy. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I, I, you know, the origin story of even wanting to make this show, I think I, when I graduated from theater school, there was just so much negative representation of Middle Easterners. I really wanted to create a half-hour comedy centered around a Middle Eastern Mm -hmm. family with a really fun character at the center of it that was written from a place of empathy and humanity and that was nuanced and had flaws, but, you know, flaws that were relatable rather than this person's operating a terror cell, which was (laughs) most of the auditions I was getting after theater school. And so when I started like thinking about the character, yeah, I don't I don't know why my truest essence <laughs> as a child <laughs> is resonant with that of a 14-year-old boy, but I was definitely a huge tomboy growing up and uh-huh. I was much like Chad, a very late bloomer. Um uh-huh. I just was all the other kids were lapping me in every regard when it came to like social aspects of being in high school yeah, and yeah. and I desperately wanted to fit in and so there's so many things things within the character that were that were very true to my upbringing yeah. um obviously aside from uh, from being an actual boy but yeah i i kind of just wanted to tell this coming of age story of this awkward immigrant kid yeah. who's trying to navigate his freshman year of high school you know i think teenagers are already struggling to find their identity and to fit in and then 
as an immigrant kid, you're sort of caught between these two cultures and it becomes this like extra obstacle (laughs) to get through, you know, and assimilating. You're also assimilating at the same time that your parents are, you know, you're they're learning about prom when you're learning about prom. So it's a shit show. And it's sort of uh, uh, it felt like a good, you know, kind of foundation for a coming of age story. Do you know a lot of teenage boys? Well, I grew up with all boy cousins and oh. coming from a big Persian family, yeah, yeah. it's there's so much you emphasis on the, on the <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's so much emphasis on the community and you're yeah. always with each other. And so I that probably steered me into my tomboy phase for right. sure. Like right. we would just wa- watch Rocky Balboa and beat the <laughs> shit out of each other afterwards <laughs> for sport. Um but really, yeah, and obviously like I've I've once I started doing sketch comedy and the Groundlings and then SNL, I've certainly trafficked in playing young boys yes, before. Yes. Right, so right, right. it wasn't super outside of my yeah, wheelhouse. Every, but every, you know, like slight comedy woman yes. got to be a boy every now and At then. At some point, yeah, yes. Yeah. And that, you know, I mean, f- throughout history, I think that's probably the case, you know. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah. So when I, I think once I started figuring out the character and leaning into like what his idiosyncrasies are. It just really felt like I could really disappear into it more as an awkward boy than than as a girl. And I was talking to this incredible writer, producer, my friend Lee Eisenberg, who he was just like, why don't you just go for it? Like, just make that show, make the show that you're going to have the most fun yeah. doing. And um yeah, I'm really grateful to him. That sort of set me on the path of being like, fuck it. I'm just going to, I'm going to pitch this. Yeah. And yeah. Cool. Now you were born in Tehran, but your family moved here when you were a ba- How old were you when they moved here? My parents actually met here studying abroad and then the revolution happened in uh, Iran. And so they went back to basically have a baby. Yeah. To, and then, <laughs> and that and then, and fun then at the time. Right away, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. To basically wrap up their life there. Obviously they didn't want to stay in a country where church and state weren't separate. Yeah. And um, yeah, so basically they went back, had me there. You know, this is like post-revolution Iran. So my mom remembers like not that many people being at the hospital the day I was born because literally so many of her friends and family were in prison at the wow. time. I was like truly horrifying uh, chaos and unrest. And um, my dad's brothers were imprisoned at one point. So he had to get out of the country. So he was there when I was born, but he had to leave. So my mom with a newborn baby wrapped up their life he was able to come back with his student visa, um, but like by the skin of his teeth. And yeah. and then my mom and I ended up in Germany for six months. And then I kind of met my dad again when I was three years old at LAX. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And this is obviously before FaceTime and before. Yeah, yeah. So it was so, he was kind of a stranger to me. And then I remember when my younger sister was born, he was like so enamored with her as a baby. And I was like, God, why is he so obsessed with this kid? <laughs> he just never had a one-year-old before. Yeah, he had never yeah, experienced yeah. a two-year-old. So um, it was all very new for him. But Do you remember yeah. there being a reacclimation? Like, oh, now this guy's here. You know? yeah. Was there that kind of... Well, apparently, I mean, I'm saying that because I, as we were talking before the sh- we started recording, I married somebody that had a kid and it, there definitely was like uh, who the fuck is this guy even though you know she was two yeah but it, there was like a lot of like wait i gotta do what he says too yeah i mean we have actual pictures of it at lax uh-huh. where my dad is like trying to hand me uh 
like a toy that he got. And right, right. I'm just pushing him away. Like, who is this stranger? And then apparently, like, on the flight from Germany, I'd befriended this Chinese family that had, like, two kids. So there's all these pictures of me at LAX with the Chinese family yeah, and then yeah. other ones of me just, like, <laughs> shoving my dad away. Like, I want nothing to do with you. Yeah, who are you? Let me get back to yeah. my people from yeah, this flight. Yeah. yeah, but then I got to know him, and he's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people understand the trauma, you know, the trauma of immigration and the things that come with that. I mean, I feel like that's growing up. But yeah, my parents, I actually really watched them struggle for a lot of my life. And and honestly, I, I credit a lot of where I'm at with, you know, the grit and, and, resilience that I developed as a result of seeing them struggle and seeing them, you know, have to start from scratch and their work ethic and and all of that. It definitely lit a fire under me, I think, from a young age Mm -hmm. of like wanting to make it, wanting to be able to take care of them, wanting to be able to do what I love. And to their credit, they were, my parents were not very traditional Persian parents. They were very progressive and supportive of me following my dreams. And they were like, listen, we moved to this country so that yeah. you can be, you know, sort of limitless so they're more in the like opportunities. A, on the secular side of very, yeah, yeah, yeah very yeah. much so. And much like many people in Iran right now sure. that are fighting for their freedom Absolutely. and they're fighting to put an end to this oppressive regime. Yeah. Um and so yeah, my parents were like, we want you to have you know, you can do anything you want here and go mm-hmm. for it. You know, they didn't push me toward, you know, the more traditional paths of like law school or medical school. And so I'm so grateful for that. I, yeah. I, I never had to like combat that piece of it. Um, yeah, yeah. And luckily it, is, it worked that out. Is, that is like, and I mean, not just a Iranian immigrant story, but it's such an immigrant story of like, you gotta be a doctor, lawyer, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, we didn't come here like we didn't almost die and escape a revolution so you could do sketch comedy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, improv. Exactly. Every, any, you know, like, that's yeah. not improv. Please. Totally. Not improv. When you when you got here at age three, were you, did you most did you speak Farsi or or that was my first language yeah. is Persian, yeah. And I sort of learned English from school and I love Lucy and Yeah, yeah. <laughs> TV, really. Did you have um, a, like? Did you have a little accent when you were little? Like, oh yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I oh, mean, that's so cute. Now I'm so. <laughs> I was full ESL. English is a second language. Like, yeah, and that's sort of when the outsider otherness starts to like sure, that seed gets absolutely. planted, which then ends up, you know, f- being such a part of my identity and and including the things that I make creatively, like yeah. tap into that you know, sort of origin story, I guess. But, but yeah, I, I, I feel so grateful. It's crazy to think of the sliding doors of life. Like what would my life have been had they not left? And so, yeah, I'm incredibly grateful to them. Did they meet in California? Were they in school in Southern California? Yeah, they were at uh, UC Berkeley and then really had every intention of, of raising a, a family in Iran. Yeah. But when, the Shah was overthrown and Khomeini took over. They that was a non-starter for yeah. them. I mean, you don't they didn't want to be somewhere where sure. militant Islamic and how extremists did they are running in the Orange show. County. Um they moved to Irvine because of how great the public schools are there. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And so um 
again, great decisions on their part, like uh-huh. wall-to-wall good decisions on mom and dad's part. We we got a great education and yeah. went to great schools. And then um, I was able to go from my high school in Irvine to UCLA where I studied theater. Yeah. And I really, at that point, I, I knew how much I loved to perform. Mm-hmm. And UCLA was sort of where I honed in on my skills as a writer more, mm-hmm. which ended up really launching my career, I feel like. Again, like once I graduated from theater school, there just weren't, like no one really knew what to do with me. I was like ethnically vague. There weren't yeah, that yeah. many parts for yeah, people yeah. that, you know, might have this weird name. And so I sort of figured out if I, if to get the parts I want to get, I'm probably going to have to create them myself. And mm. so, yeah, I started writing. I did the Groundlings and then wrote a one-woman show that Tina Fey saw that sort of led to everything she told Lauren Michaels about me and that sort of, you know, started my career. But before before SNL, I was was getting small parts on things, you know, and I, I remember I was always like really going at it, but I also was really lucky in, in the jobs that I had and the people I worked for. One of my last jobs, I was like a tutor, I was a personal assistant, and one of my, my last jobs before I was able to support myself full-time as an actor was with a family, uh, this guy, Sam Gores and his wife at the time, Jensen, who Sam owns Paradigm Agency. And so they were in the industry. They knew I was pursuing this thing. And I'm just so lucky to have worked with such great people. They were always like, keep your eye on the prize. This is your job, not your career. They would let me leave for auditions. They were so wonderful. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I was really lucky in the things that, you know, in those formative years of figuring out how I was going to make it as a performer. I had great people around me mm-hmm. that that it made helped, it more yeah. possible. Yeah. yeah. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Can't you tell my love's a grow? You know, so much of, uh, of Chad, of the show, is about assimilation. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, the kid's Persian-ness, uh, Chad's Persian-ness is a, is a big part of it. But it doesn't even need, like, Chad doesn't even need to be Persian right. to be the awkward mess that he is that just wants to fit in, right. you know. And, and it is like, you know, the other kids seem cooler and more at ease. But that's always, like... Like I always watch 
things that are about teens and 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 they're you know that like you have to look at it through as as if it's like a teenager lens. Right. So it's like everyone else seems cool, but that's not. You're just seeing it like you're seeing Chad's eyes, and right. everyone else seems cooler than Chad. <laughs> yeah. But you know, but assimilation is such a big part of it. Fitting in, like you know, fitting in rocks or what you know, mm-hmm. something that he says. But did you like that? Does not jibe with being a performer. You know what I mean? So like you're a young kid that's wanting to fit in, but yet you also have the, hey, everybody look at me, Gene, you know? And I mean, was there like a, a tension between that? Reconcile when you reconcile those two yeah, parts? Yeah, when you were a kid, when you were, you know, when you started to realize, like, I want to do this for a living and I want to do this and maybe not even for a living, just for fun. I want to sure. get on stage, you know? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, and there are definitely parts of me that are quite shy and, yeah. and you wouldn't think that I'm that comfortable performing. But for me, it's not it's a little easier to hide behind a character you know like I that's why I love doing improv and sketch comedy um I think early on I felt like comedy was a bit of an escape you Mm -hmm. know with like the typical traumas of childhood but also it kind of served as a as a social currency at school you know like I um I was pretty dorky, but I also felt like, oh, if I could make people laugh, like mm-hmm. I have something to offer. I could connect with people that way. And yeah. and that was something that developed early on, even, mm-hmm. you know, earlier than when I knew I wanted to study theater and, and pursue it professionally. Like junior high-ish kids, yeah. you start to be like the funny kid. Totally, you know, yeah. Funny yeah. Yeah, and then in high school, you know, there were places where I could sort of put that you know, to test. Like I had the improv team and doing the plays and, you know. Improv team. That's improv crazy to me team. that there's a high school improv team. Oh, yeah. We team. competed oh my regionally. Gosh. It was wow. a whole thing. Yeah. Wow. Um, I blame UCB. <laughs> I blame UCB for the proliferation. It's yeah. spreading everywhere. <laughs> yes. This virus. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, at UCLA, we had this really fun thing, this like school-wide talent show that was in the tennis stadium. Um, and in between the talent acts, there was something called Spring Sing you could audition for, which was basically sketch sketches, like sketch comedy in between the uh, the different acts. And we felt like rock stars, like to yeah. get on the team, then to write, you know, that it was like some of the most fun life memories I have are from that time yeah. and like once you get that bug you're like oh no yeah, I don't yeah. want to go to law school now <laughs> I think law school was, was just law always- school in there was it was it like I'm gonna go study theater but law school mom and dad don't worry it's there it was only there as a backup plan in the very back of my mind I think because litigation just reminded me of performing sure. <laughs> like you know so Absolute, i was like this it, might be the closest i could get yeah. to performing but law, law and the clergy are both <laughs> show business there you go they're yeah. both a different kind of show business yeah, yeah. cousins yeah of, yeah of that same yeah so like i i don't think i was taking into consideration the amount of paperwork and other aspects of, <laughs> of law school that make yeah. it what it is but i i knew at that point and then actually a friend of mine from high school recently mentioned that I had forgotten this, but in the high sc- in my senior yearbook, we had these things called senior wills where 
you like write some inside jokes to your friends and you just get like a few characters to say something. And mine had said, see you on SNL, which wow. in retrospect is so delusional. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's so, but I, it's a nice reminder that I, I knew even that early on, like what I loved. Yeah. And it was a matter of figuring out how to do it professionally, yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's great. And your folks were, when you said theater school, there was, they didn't, there was no sort of like gulp. There was just, okay. I mean, I'm sure there was, but they didn't show that side yeah. to me. They yeah. they really, to their credit, they were like, go for it. Yeah. If that's what you love. Yeah. And um, you've got to, I mean, your, your mom and dad must be funny because your, your sister's a comedy writer too. Yeah. And was that, is she, or was she just a copycat? Was no, that no, she no. Just, you know, she's truly, I mean, she was a prodigy. She was like, living in the dorms at Columbia still when she started writing for 30 Rock. Like, Nina's, oh my God. Nina's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Tina had a lot to do with our yeah, um, ascension yeah. to being able to do this professionally. But um, Well, there's worse mentors to have. But yeah. Because you know, at least she got <laughs> like a amazing. real... She's uh, I mean, I mean, brilliantly funny and also just a, a, one of the most decent, kind, wonderful totally. people, you know? yeah. Because there's a lot of shits in this industry. Oh my gosh, a total and pro she's not and a one total of them. wonderful yeah. human. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, my parents were often funny, not always intentionally, <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah. it. They they are hilarious, and my dad, incidentally, is now like he, I, he's become like a reoccurring character on season two. So, oh really? He yeah, oh yeah, he fully. Your dad is acting in the show. Yeah, he like had to oh join my gosh. SAG. Wow. And, yeah. Wow. Did you create a monster? <laughs> I know. I'm like scared he's gonna get a publicist. <laughs> Not that far from now. <laughs> I'm just, in the new, new Scorsese movie. Yeah, like screening yeah. my calls uh. to like. <laughs> Take meetings in general. So. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> no, he's amazing. He's he's so funny in season two. Um, yeah, it was a real labor of love. Yeah. As you started in, uh, like, you know, because this industry can, in many ways, chew you up and spit you out, mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, were you, did you start to feel that right away? And was there, was there like daunting prospects of like, ugh, you know, like maybe this is too much, you know? Specifically around the time of the, or any time. Any time, just at, at some point, you know, like just feeling sure. like, oh, I don't know if, you know, maybe law school might be the thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess most of that level of doubt would have been before I moved to New York mm -hmm. to do SNL. I think what saved me from dipping back into that feeling all the time was that I was writing, you know, and uh -huh. I feel like. If you can, if you can write and create opportunities for yourself, you definitely, you just feel like you have so much more agency in your career than when I was only acting, you yeah. know, early, early on in my career. I, I just felt like I'm waiting for someone else to give me a job and, yeah. and that, that can feel scary and stagnant right, for right. sure. But yeah, once I fell in love with writing, even just the, the process of going from having just a kernel of an idea yeah. to you're hiring now, you know, these incredibly talented production designers and DPs and and it, all these amazing it's, people it's, that are bringing your little vision to it, life. I still like when, I mean, I haven't, you know, it's, it's, it's been a while since there's been like something that like, Hey, what if we did this? And then, you know, people are then scouting locations for it. It's been a while since the, where it's like, oh my God, they're really going to make this, you know? It's, the best. it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I don't, I don't know if you ever, I mean, 
I imagine you uh, ultimately you get over, you know Hitchcock probably got over it, but uh, <laughs> you know it's like I still it's it's in, it's amazing. Oh to my me. gosh, yeah. no, it, that'll I don't think that joy will ever yeah yeah go. I mean, and you, when you create a show like you know you get to experience it and as three different creative entities it's like its own little living thing in the writing phase and then it takes on a a, a new shape once it's up on its feet and you're in production and then again in the edit it finds all this newness there and you have these like three little armies you get to like work with of these crazy talented people that are that are helping make your vision come to life and there's just no greater joy i mean it's just so fun yeah Although it also takes a lot of time to make a show. So I'm excited now Now that, you know, season two is coming out. It's also fun to dip into a project that you're not responsible for every aspect of and to yeah. be a guest in someone else's home. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's all. Yeah, it's. Yeah, if you could. Yeah, being a guest star can be the. Oh, oh, the greatest. Number four on the call yeah. sheet. What a dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have days off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I love this that you were. You were playing Dora the Explorer at kids' birthday parties, and the note is, and assembled the costume herself, which is like, oh, you mean shorts and a t-shirt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Co- costume is a very generous description for yeah, what yeah. was my baggy sleep shirt and a very and shitty wig. <laughs> and how did, I mean, what? Did, how did that, like? You know, you place an ad in Craigslist. Anybody looking for a Dora? I worked for a really weird company that would place, you know, children's performers at birthday parties. Wow. And How do you get that job? I mean, is it like a answer oh a, a newspaper ad? A or? friend of mine was doing it. Uh-huh. And it made no sense economically. I'd always like break even with the, the gas I'd spend going to the sure. party. Right, so, right. Um, I tried to lean more on personal assisting and tutoring than the birthday <laughs> the birthday gig but it definitely I mean talk about giving you grit that was a humbling uh, <laughs> job yeah. to do because yeah. sometimes you'd show up and the four-year-olds did not care for you right, right. <laughs> you'd have to like <laughs> like well buckle up we have yeah. another hour and a half of this yeah, so. or also in between booking you and the actual birthday party they moved on to a different show yeah exactly you know? yeah, yeah yeah exactly was it just dora did you do other no like, i think i like i i did some princesses yeah, that yeah. were also received not as well as yeah, i think no. i would have liked no having a four-year-old now i there's been we just uh my costumes were better i just had yeah. the shittiest costumes <laughs> so when snl happens mm-hmm. uh i mean is that is it dude is it a pretty standard like you go in and you know you meet with lauren and he makes you wait six hours you know yep. that kind of thing yeah it's it's i mean there's a yeah, template there's a template for yeah. that experience but i think part of what's useful about sort of the ringer they put you through is by the time you get the job you're like well, how can it be scarier than the last seven things they made me <laughs> yeah, you know you yeah, like audition yeah. a couple times and then the audition itself is on the soundstage. So yep. that's sort of, yeah, it, they sort of do that to see if you can withstand the pressure of that. And mm-hmm. by the and also time, they're deeply cruel people. <laughs> that's the other thing, too. Maybe they're having some fun with it, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think, you know, the meeting with Lauren is sort of, so you can probably make sure you're someone that people can be around. You end up spending, I mean, you spend so much time with each other in those halls and you're in this washing machine together where you're just like coming up for air on Sundays, just enough to like eat and 
crash and go back at it on Monday. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, SNL is like the best game of survival and it really prepares you for everything to come. I remember um, Polar, when I, when I started in 2009, Amy Polar was like, enjoy it while you're here because everything after will be boring in comparison. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I can't remember. Was she still on the show? She wasn't. No, oh, but okay. she would pop in. And yeah, so yeah. I met her when she would come in and visit and, and do some spots. But but yeah, it really going from that to making my own show, I feel like it's everything is easier after SNL yeah. because even when things go wrong in production, like you're rained out or, you know, unexpected things come up. And, and while the money is being spent, you're just you've seen it those problems be fixed in such a short amount of time because of mm -hmm. SNL that like everything feels easier because you're not live in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. in that respect, it just makes you kind of leave the show feeling like, okay, like if you can survive that, you can yeah. survive. That's one of the best things about learning to be an improviser and being an improviser is that, you know, what you just said, it starts when you're doing a, a show and you don't know what you're going to say. You know, you're going to sure. you're going to do an hour of comedy for people, and you don't know what you're going to say. That I think that it there it I, and I, I mean I definitely felt that that it gave me just like level like feet that were flat on the floor yeah. when I went into kind of new situations that were very exciting and very intimidating. But I was always like, well. I mean, shit, at least I know what I'm going to say. Right. You know, they yeah. gave me the lines, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm, you know, so. You just build a tolerance for withstanding uncertainty yeah. and staying comfortable in, yeah. in that uncertainty um, and trusting that it'll come together. SNL is, is famously uh, can be a, a difficult place to sort of, you know, elbow your way up to the table in mm -hmm. terms of screen time. Mm -hmm. and, and what was your experience like? In yeah, the I mean, there's only so that. much real estate on yeah, the show. Yeah. And yeah, and yet I the mean, writers so like you or they don't like you. And they, you know, you get a writer inspired to write for you. I mean, right. And you, you know, the writers are the ones that are producing the sketch from the control room. So obviously, all the cast members write, but you need someone who's just a writer to have their name on the sketch as well because they're the ones producing it. Mm -hmm. So you do kind of need to find who your teammate is when yeah. you start out. And, you know, there was for sure times where I was like, I think I might be too weird for this show, like my sensibilities specifically. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I was also like, I auditioned with all those weirdos, you yeah, know, yeah, but, yeah. and I, I, I told them who I was, you know. Right. So I can't remember. I definitely heard either um, on another podcast, like it was either Jay Farrow or or Sudeikis, um, Jason Sudeikis. Not sure those two have ever been confused for each other, but one of them <laughs> said, one of them said that, yeah, like obviously the show sometimes wants to put you in a specific box, and you're yeah. itching to do these things that are kind of outside of that box. Yeah. Um, but that's why I'm so lucky I was able to be there long enough to. I remember like my fifth season, I was starting to like really have fun getting to do some of the characters I had auditioned with, and and but then also you know playing sort of the like the Kim Kardashians and the top yeah. of show pieces that um, were also topical and useful to the show. So so yeah, again, I, I feel I feel so grateful to have had that. And at the same time, you're a little bit chasing that high the rest of your career because yeah. there's just nothing like yeah. it. That that adrenaline and um I think a lot of people go on to 
at least even if it's like doing shows at colleges or you're just getting that live fix in some way mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you have instant gratification at a place like SNL versus on a television show. You can, you know, yeah, it goes out take into the ether and, and yeah. you hope that people are you watching. You can start and stop and, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. do reshoots and right. all that. Yeah. Did you enjoy, you know, like I think Kim Kardashian, if I'm not mistaken, was probably the, the character that mm -hmm. people, you know, that popped the most mm -hmm. with consciousness. Did you enjoy imper the impersonation kind of part of that, you know? I mean— Or would you have just rather played arbitrary weirdos, weirdos that came out yeah. of your own brain? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's obviously fun to do yeah. a mix of things. I think—I I auditioned with Kim, uh -huh. and then she just became, you know, more and more famous right around the time that I was on the show, so it made sense to do her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I liked wearing different hats. I mean, I really liked playing different characters. Yeah. And it sort of just becomes boring if you feel pigeonholed into one specific thing mm -hmm. over and over again. But Did, Is that something that would happen periodically? Yeah, like when you well, go through, you know, a month or two where you feel like, oh, I have to be Kim Kardashian. <laughs> I mean, again, know. it was always fun. I mean, I, you know, it wasn't like there were people on the show that were true impressionists. Yes. And... For a lot of us, when we were doing impression, it was like a take on them, you know, yeah, or yeah, like, yeah. you know, and. Yeah, I can't but, do impressions. I can do impressions of impressions. But <laughs> I can't, go. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, I didn't even know that, like, it was possible to do Christopher Walken. <laughs> until, until you saw J the impression. J yeah, Jay yeah. Moore did it at Christopher Walken. I was like, and then it's like, oh, you you see the distillation of the, of the you know, like. Right. The, the markers. Of, yeah. 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 I mean, some people with mimicking, that's like just so their wheelhouse. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. But it was fun. Like, it was fun. I mean, there's only so much real estate on the show, like yeah. I was saying. So you end up writing things that kill at the table read and then don't get in the show. You're also like, you know, oftentimes you're coming from a comedy club or a school like The Groundlings where you're just really writing for yourself. But then at SNL, there's also this component of catering to a host that also has to score right, and shine. It's right. really their Those episode fuckers. and their, <laughs> their show. So... <laughs> I think, like, early on, I maybe wasn't the best about finding a way to, like, play my weirdo in tandem with giving them something really fun to do. Yeah. So, yeah. So, there's just, like, all these different components that go go into it. Um, but I remember I kind of went into it with a really pretty positive attitude of, like, I knew so many friends that had gotten hired and I had worked with that I knew were some of the most brilliant women I've ever worked that ended up for whatever reason, getting let go, that it just felt like there's so much of it that's not in your control. Yeah. And, you know, I... Yeah, and there again, the quality of the work sometimes it doesn't really factor in that much. You know, it's the same thing as like the quality of a show might not be that, you know, might but not be it. There's There's all kinds of different reasons that things can turn around. Totally. You know? Yeah. But I really, you know, I think I was having so much fun by the end of it. At the same time, I felt like, okay, what's the next, yeah. you know, what's the next phase? And and I, for me that, you know, the next stage was really creating my own yeah, yeah. vehicle. And um, I hope to keep doing that. Like yeah. I, I, I just love writing something out of nothing and then seeing where it goes. 
Saving money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Hi, I'm John Lovett, host of Love It or Leave It. Every week, I'm joined live on stage by incredible guests to break down the biggest and dumbest stories in politics and pop culture. And now, because there's too much news for just one show, join me and my friends, also known as beloved producers who have to be there, every Tuesday for a rundown of the latest headlines to help get you through another flawless week in our perfect society. Listen to episodes of Love It or Leave It wherever you get your podcasts or catch the funniest moments on the Love It or Leave It YouTube channel. Can't you tell my love's a grow? What was the transition between SNL and Mulaney like? Like, did, it was did John, quick. <laughs> did John, yeah, did John say, like, hey, I want you to come over here and do this? And yeah. Did you hesitate? You know, did you think, like, maybe I should stay here? You know? Yeah, especially because I was like, oh, this season's so fun and yeah. I'm getting to do these recurring characters. And like, I, but I also knew that I'd be itching to come back to LA, like, be on a sitcom, have like get back to my friends and family Mm -hmm. and to like not be in that grind forever. Um, So I was a little torn. I mean, John, but obviously I loved working with John so much. Yeah, And he's so funny. It was like, if it's yeah, Martin Short, I was like such a no brainer in so many yeah, ways. Yeah. Too. It's hard to say no to John Mulaney. Yeah. You know? And like we had, you know, and we got to do a full season, but we had so much we had so much fun and it and it just made it also was like another Lauren show. So it felt like a nice transition out of yeah. SNL, like still kind of in the family. Yeah. Um, but when we started, I was doing both. So I was like flying back and forth oh, between wow. LA and New York twice I didn't a week. I realize that. Wow. Yeah. I would like I I would shoot the the taping from Mulaney on Friday, like I would and then just like first flight to New York, land and like be thrown into wigs and go to the live show wow. for SNL and then and are come they right sending back. you sketches that you get you know, that like, you know, are you on the plane like trying to figure out Oh totally. Yeah. 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 Or I'd be like in hair and makeup as Kim, like about to go on. I haven't even rehearsed the sketch. And Lauren's like talking to me about how the taping for Mulaney went. It was so chaotic, but it was so fun. <laughs> wow. It was so fun. Yeah. Um, and I learned uh, so much from that. And and Mulaney really built a really fun family. And so when that came to an end, I was like, all right, time to do my own thing. I've learned a lot from working on other people's shows. Yeah. And... I, I did feel ready at that point. When when Mulaney ended, were, was it was there a, like a new season of SNL? Was there a possibility of you going back to SNL? I mean, you mentioned a little bit at the beginning, but we didn't really get into it. Was there the possibility of you going back to SNL and you just opted not, not to? Well, what happened was I, during Mulaney, um, 20th offered me a development deal. Mm-hmm. So they were like, if this doesn't continue, uh, we will... We'll pay some, you for yeah. your next for the next thing you want to make. Yeah. So I was sort of already in that marriage and it's it, it felt like the right move. Yes. Like it felt like that's the natural that's progression. The natural progression. Yeah. Now I'm ready to yeah. create my own thing. So yeah. it was kind of a seamless transition from Mulaney to 
you know, doing the development deal where I ultimately created Chad. Yeah. Because, yeah, because there is that feeling. I mean, and it, it always seems to be. I mean, there are a few, you know, Keenan Thompson being a, an obvious mm-hmm. an obvious exception. But it him. does seem like, oh, yeah. I mean, and it is like you never feel like, oh, Keenan, you should move. Because he does do other things, you know. But For sure. But there, there always has seemed to be that, you, you know. It, there's a point where you jump off the train and, you know, and get onto another train. And, uh, yeah. and, and uh, it seems like it kind of presented itself to you in a way. Yeah. He's yeah. been able to really navigate, like, being a little more normal and low key while going through yeah. that show. Whereas, like, for most of it, it's just like so intense and crazy yeah. that it feels kind of impossible physically and mentally to do forever but yeah. but he's he's found a good groove with it where yeah. I think he can you know like it's it's not that disruptive to yeah, like yeah. his um he's but he is like mental uh, just as a performer he's like there he just has such a charm you know just such totally. tremendous charm that it's like you never feel like you know, like, totally. And the show like really knows how to utilize yes, him to, yes. you know, like other people know exactly how to write yeah. for him. It's really. And how to put him in to just save a bit by charm. Just cutting just to him. You go Literally in and be charming. Yeah, to yeah. Him. yeah. And that'll maybe make an ending. I right. don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's been, I feel really lucky. I think the opportunities I've had, you know, coming out of that show, I've been properly you know prepared for Mm -hmm. i've been i've i've worked enough um to know how i want to run a show and Mm -hmm. how like the culture of the show i want to create um and how important morale is you know for because you end up spending so much more time with each other than you do sometimes with your own families you know i love hearing you say that because it is something that i don't in my experience there's a lot of people that don't understand especially there, there is there is whether you want to accept the responsibility or not, if you are, as you said, you know, like if you're number one on the call sheet, if this is your show, you are in charge of morale. Yeah. Whether you want to be or not. And if you if you absolve yourself of that responsibility, you do it at the show's peril and therefore your own peril. Yeah. And so I and I've, you know, seen it a hundred times For sure. of just like it's the Terry Johnson show and Terry Johnson's going to be an asshole. Right. Like Terry, what the fuck are it you doing? It starts with you, Terry. Yeah, Terry. Yeah. It's really in your best interest to be nice. To We've people. all been on those sets. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's crazy to me. Yeah, and it doesn't really inspire comedy. That's for it sure. sure as shit doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, it's just like I don't, I don't, I don't understand how you can live like that. Life is too short. Oh my god, <laughs> so much. I would like the the just spiritual exhaustion of being an asshole. Completely. Just, I can't even, like, I, I would just be a wreck, you not, know? Not to mention in an industry where we're so fucking lucky. Fuck, like, yes. we already won the yeah, lottery yeah. to be doing this. You get your, and especially within even, like, the thing that I, you know, having gone to film school, been a PA on commercials in Chicago, you know, and, and you know, then doing props and all different kinds of jobs, second AD, different things. It's like, in a, in a way that I feel like is very sort of like, on purpose, keeping myself humble is I am a member of the crew. Like I am just, I'm, you know, like to say like, I'm not as important, you know, I'm no more important (laughs) than the guy pulling cable. It's like, well, you know, the guy pulling cable gets the the flu, he can stay home and they get someone else. (laughs) But, but it is like, 
you remember the crew, yes, but you also like you get your own toilet. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. When you're not when they don't need you, you can take a nap. That's right. You know, yeah. they feed you so you're well. Coddled constantly. Yes, you're like a baby. <laughs> yes. You know. Uh so yeah, and to like to to you know look that gift horse in the mouth totally. is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I luckily, yeah, haven't lost sight of that. And yeah. I it's still it's still so exciting for me to see yeah. something. I mean, it's, every, anytime I see a billboard, I'm like, well, that's another miracle. It's so hard to get yeah. things made. It's yeah, so hard yeah, yeah. to like get a pilot picked up, let yeah. alone a season of television, let yeah. alone a second season. Oh, like, it's, tell me about it's it. so <laughs> impossible yeah. that if you lose sight of like yeah. how special that is when it does happen. Yeah. Well, now there was your your sort of like. SNL to out of SNL, you know, SNL into a, a network sitcom into your own production deal. Like that was fairly slam bang, you know, like, like it was on top of each other. And then you kind of, you know, the brakes are, somebody <laughs> pumps the brakes yes. for you in a way. And how do you deal with that? Like, how do you go from, oh, the brakes I'm have on been SNL. Pumped yeah, so many yeah. I mean, yeah. we were in production, then COVID happened, yeah. then the merger happened, then I think I just, again, I I feel like I'm really, maybe, again, it was maybe, maybe my upbringing of being in a household that felt full of chaos at times yeah. where I'm pretty comfortable in chaos and uncertainty. I think that's part of why I was able to survive SNL. Yeah. Um, and then I've really just done a lot of work on saying, listen, in life, you you control the controllables and then you let go of the wheel. Like there's things that are not in my control. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I'll fight for things to the end and do what I can to honor my work. And if I really believe in something to make sure it sees the light of day, but um, that's, that's what gives me peace in my heart. And then if it doesn't continue, then I can live with that knowing I did everything I could. So mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there are stalls. There are things that slow you down. There are there are periods where when my show was going from one network to another, I had to turn down work because had I taken a new show, I'd sort of be betting against myself sure. in a lot of ways. Yeah, so yeah. there are lulls. Even though you were contractually able to, you just decided not to because— There were periods of time where I wasn't even under contract anymore. I was just oh, taking wow. the president of the network's word for it that— yeah we'd be able to get the show. Um, and it always ended up working out. But yeah. yeah, you have to take risks and you have to be willing to not have everything have a tidy bow on it at yeah, the end yeah, of it, yeah. you know, like to be like, well, I'm not totally sure what the next seven months looks like. But again, I think because I knew I could always come back to writing. Yeah, I was like, the money will come, the opportunities will come. Like I just have to... All I'm responsible for is being true to myself mm -hmm. and making things I believe in. Yeah. And that's what lets me sleep at night. And, you know, the other stuff, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I'm I'm so grateful I got to make these two seasons and I can't wait to start playing women again and <laughs> reminding there, people that are there specific things in in the future that you want to do i mean uh, and they you know work in otherwise you know i mean yeah i know. mean like i you know making a tv show kind of takes up your whole calendar year because yeah. like 
you know, you're in the writer's room 16 weeks, then you're in production a couple yeah. months, and then you edit. But then um, because of that, and this show in particular spilled into so many years of my life, I haven't really been available to collaborate that much in other projects and work yeah. with other people. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting to do more of that. I, I got to work with Eddie Murphy on the new Beverly Hills Cop movie that's coming out oh, later wow, this that's year. Great. And yeah, it's it's really fun. Um it's really fun, like I said, to just be in someone else's sandbox and yeah. Are you actively pursuing that kind of stuff now? I mean yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah like for, you know, projects that that makes sense. Um, yeah, I really just want to work with kind, talented people sure. and make things that I love. Are you thinking of a season three of Chad or are you kind of in a wait and see kind of mode? Or I mean, again, it took so long to go from TBS to Roku because of the logistics that like it might start to look creepy at how much older all the other kids have become than Chad himself. Like, he's in this weird cryo Oh, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Like, wow. Peter probably looks like a young man, his best friend at this point. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Although we do leave him in Europe, so possibly, I guess, ostensibly, he could start at a new school in Paris. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I'm definitely, you know, I guess never say never. Who knows? But yeah, the 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 current cast that populates the show is yeah, yeah. significantly older, those kids, than when we started. Um, but I, yeah, I mean. So, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, sure. Because <laughs> those goddamn kids, they just keep aging. Exactly. You know? they, they're like in their early 20s oh, now. You, yeah. <laughs> Isn't there some sort of hormone therapy that can yeah. keep them, you know, Sealed in lucite. Yeah, Chad would be so frustrated. Everyone's gone through puberty, but him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what do you? Uh, what's what is you know from your journey? Mm-hmm. What is the? Uh, you're opening a book here. Do you I know, have I'm a prep? Like, what, do you have a prep for the what final is my question? Life right now. Yeah. What is what? What have you learned? Uh, you know, like what do you? What do you feel like is the the biggest lessons you've taken away from your journey? Honestly, I just love that word journey. Um, I really like when I talk to like when I go to colleges or talk to aspiring performers and honestly just young people that are trying yeah. to figure out what they love. What to I, do in this world. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not that original, but it is very true of not, you know, being afraid of failure and adversity and that things that might seem so life or death in the moment especially when you're when you're younger can really build the strongest parts of your character that yeah. end up getting you through tough times once you're an adult you know like i really do think that the you know the things i experienced in my childhood did give me grit they they made me be able to you know withstand some of the challenges you feel both as a performer but also just as a person later in life you know yeah. and and so uh, I think even failure like you're so hell-bent on something turning out a certain way with your career and it can often lead you down a path you didn't anticipate and other opportunities can come from having not gotten that one gig or not yeah. gotten that one thing and to just Remain open. Just enjoy the ride itself. Yeah. You know, um, that's been that's been great. And and for me, I'm I'm really like gotten really great at being less outcome oriented and more process oriented, mm-hmm. and just 
appreciating that I get to do what I love. Yeah. And I don't know if you've read, have you read Rick Rubin's book, The Creative Act, A Wave? It's, I can't recommend it enough. Okay, it's I'll so try. It's so good. I might listen to it. Listen I to it. I have a real attention span Oh my God, listen with, to it. You know, he, okay. he reads it himself. Um, he... He wrote this in, I mean, it's a, as much kind of about spirituality as it is about being a, a creative, but it really resonated with me. And I, um, yeah, I feel like I want to just continue to ask myself, what do I want to say about where I'm at in the world or the yeah. state of the world? Like what, what is resonating with me that is my specific perspective mm -hmm. on, you know, obviously for someone like me, I write from such a personal place and from such a character driven place that I feel like I can always come back to that and yeah. you know who knows what that next character will be but it's really fun and I and I'm lucky to to do something I really enjoy do you think that a lot of that comes from just because I can imagine being the child of your parents people mm -hmm. that like had to leave everything and start fresh and start new that it's like there's not a lot of room for like complaining you know what I mean it's like it's like you, yeah. pro, you you have a whole lifetime of like it's you know it's not as bad as it could be oh my god I mean yeah. like going from seeing what they had to put up with yeah. to where we are as a family now and the fact that I can support myself as an yeah, artist I, I'm yeah. like playing with the house's money at this point I feel like you know sure, like it's yeah. just so it's all icing yeah. and 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 you know, to be able to give back to them has been a dream of mine that I got to see fulfilled. And we got to see that dream fulfilled in one generation. Like, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, in the last like year and a half, I also, given everything that was going on in Iran, sort of threw myself into activism. Mm -hmm. And that kind of work has been incredibly fulfilling. I mean, obviously, it's so personal to me. Um, yeah. When the mass uprisings happened in Iran, I just, I think everyone in the diaspora that had some reach or some platform kind of banded together to say, how can we amplify the voices of our people back home? Yeah. And that that work has continued. Um, I'm lucky enough to have been put in touch with all these different human rights lawyers and to sort of continue to shine a light on what the people of Iran are hoping for, which yeah. is, you know, democracy and freedom and an end to state-sanctioned violence and gender apartheid and all of these things. So having my, you know, professional career has been amazing, but it's also been really cool to use that to be able to, you know, get myself involved in, in other things I, I really am passionate about and believe in, like advocacy work and yeah you have a little bit more access to that when, you know, you happen to be a performer. So Right, right, yeah. And it feels like you will be heard. Yeah. You know, yeah, that it's like, yeah, you know, you're playing a teenage boy, but also you can, you know, you're being heard. So you can then say like, okay, you know, I'm funny and I'm, you know, and, I, and I've been in lots of comedies, but also, well, listen to me. I, you know, if you like me and those things, listen to me on this very serious thing, you know? Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it honestly, I mean, it's a little weird that this is the case, but it's the world we live in. Sometimes it just being on television helps you get into those doors, like political doors. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, like I couldn't believe it when we went to the 
the UN in Geneva, like an, the ambassador of Venezuela was like, oh my God, SNL. Like, I'm like, you watch, <laughs> like that's on your radar yeah, even, yeah. It, you know? It's weird, yeah. And suddenly it gives you a little, like a little opening to then have a conversation with them about things you really care about. Yeah. Like, you know, speaking on behalf of, of the people in my home country. So yeah, I think especially since... There's such an oppressive regime in Iran and the civic space isn't really open. Like mm -hmm. all the opposition leaders are in prison. It's so important for Iranians outside of the country to do what they can. Yeah. You know, obviously democratic change has to come from within. But that's kind of been a lot of what I've been doing this last this last year. And I hope to continue to do it until, you know, something changes. Yeah. Well, good for you. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> I wanted a cookie it's for that, <laughs> and you gave it to me. <laughs> I, you know, so I never know what to say when somebody, <laughs> somebody's doing something amazing and and you know virtuous. It's like, well, good for you. Oh my gosh. Well, season two of Chad is out January nineteenth on the Roku channel, and that's right. Yeah, and 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 Nassim Patrat, thank you so much for coming in. You're so wonderful. Thanks and, for having oh, me. You're, I'm, it was my pleasure. And I will be back next week uh, with more of the three questions. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco production. It is produced by Sean Doherty and engineered by Rich Garcia. Additional engineering support by Eduardo Perez and Joanna Samuel. Executive produced by Nick Liao, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, with assistance from Maddie Ogden. Research by Alyssa Grawl. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to The Three Questions with Andy Richter wherever you get your podcasts. And do you have a favorite question you always like to ask people? Let us know in the review section. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Can't you feel it ain't showing? Oh, you must be a knowing. I've got a big, big love. This has been a Team Coco production. <laughs>